Welcome to the podcast of Sozo Church. For more information about Sozo, please visit sozosmtx.com. Thank you. Hey, before we jump in, I want to make two requests of you. Um, one is we are in need of help with our uh, Sozo Kids ministry. You know, the last couple of years have been uh, a bit challenging, and for uh, kids in particular, and then for our team just being stretched, um, we could really use some volunteers. Um, I I know the tendency is when you uh, graduate from your kids being in kids' ministry, the temptation is to say, well, I'm over that season, I don't need to serve there. But if you could go back to being in that season and think, oh, wow, like I'm overwhelmed with kids and uh, how challenging that is, and I'd sometimes need a break. And so um, I would just encourage you, no matter what season you're in, that you would prayerfully consider serving with our kids. They could really uh, use uh, your presence. And one of the things that I've noticed in particular is uh, it's significant not to diminish women. We have a lot of women who are volunteers, but it's significant when men show up with kids, we've got some kids that don't have dads at home, and there's something significant about having uh, a male presence that is uh, full of joy and serious about God. And so I just want to encourage you uh, that even if you're like, I'm not sure if I'm good with kids, to give it a try, because I think not only will you be a blessing, but you'll actually get really blessed in the process. Amen? Cool. So you can sign up to serve online. Um, actually, you can just scan that. If you take out the phone, your, your picture app on your phone, uh, it'll take you right there. So you can do that. Um, another thing is, is that we are recognizing, and I, I, this actually has a bit to do with kids, is that while we're grateful to have been in this space, it was a great like recovery spot for us after COVID. We are just beginning to pray that God would provide a permanent home for us. And so... Here's what I would ask that you would do with us. We don't have a a strong plan in place, but we're beginning just to ask God that he would provide and that he would even show us, our elders and our team, what it would look like to take those steps. And so I just ask that you would begin partnering with us in prayer for a permanent home. You up for that? Awesome. And so we just believe that God's got a spot for us. We feel like we need a space. One, it is a bit challenging for our kids to be that far away. We'd love to have them and worship a lot more. But we also need a place to fulfill what God has called us to be, to be a resource center uh, to our uh, region and an equipping place for the nations and uh, that we just have a good place for our church family to to gather, to grow, to be together. Um, And so if you'd pray with us in that, that would be awesome. So we're starting a a new series, uh, When Life Gets Tough. Anybody been there? And here's my heart for us in this series is that we would uh, learn what it looks like to put our lives together in such a way that um, like Hebrews 12 talks about that even when everything is being shaken, we would be unshakable. Amen. And I feel like God wants to give us some strategy on what it looks like for that to happen. So we will start in Genesis chapter 25. If you want to go there with me, I'll share a, a quick story with you. So growing up when I was at Mimi and Papaw Lowry's house, anybody have a Mimi and Papaw? Nope, just me. All right. When I was a kid, I would, tell, I would talk about them as my grandparents because it was a little, little bit embarrassing to say Mimi and Papaw. Um, but I realized that's just who they are. And they're awesome. But Mimi and Papaw had a rule in their house. And the rule was this, 
no running in the house. Seems like a great rule to break when you're four years old. And so I decided that I was going to break that rule. I didn't understand the rule. So I was running through the house at four years old and I hit that little latch on the old school screen door. You know the latch I'm talking about? And I I hit that latch and I didn't realize that there was a step and then there were about two more steps horizontally and then there was a brick column. And at four years old, I noticed this with my two-year-old, like we, we play this game where he's going to hide from me. And what he does is he hides his eyes, right? And he thinks that he has somehow disappeared and that I've disappeared. Well, at four years old, running out the door, I decided that maybe if I closed my eyes, that brick column would disappear. It did not. In fact, it found me right in the forehead split me open, and I got four stitches, uh, hoping that that uh, brick column would disappear. My grandmother, who was a midwife, is a midwife still actually, she uh, actually delivered me, and she offered to put the stitches in my head for me there at the house, and I decided, no, I want to go to the hospital. So I went to the hospital. But I've realized this, that when life gets tough, we have a tendency to want to close our eyes and hope that it'll go away, right? Like that we'd bury our heads in the sand and think, you know what, if I just wait this thing out, then maybe this relationship will get better. If I don't check my bank account, maybe my finances will get better. If I don't go to the doctor, maybe the sickness that I think I may have will somehow magically disappear. And I think our tendency is to want to close our eyes and think, oh, you know what? It'll all just go away if I don't pay attention to it. And quite honestly, you and I both know realistically that that's not the way that it works. But oftentimes, we're faced with difficulty in life. In fact, that's a part of life. And I would even say that the difficulty that we face, though is uh, often not engineered by God, it is used by God as growing pains to mature us. And so often, if we'll face it head on, what we'll find is that in the middle of every difficulty, God is actually giving us an upgrade in our spiritual maturity and our maturity in life. Amen. So go with me to Genesis 25. We'll start in 29. We know this. This is uh, Abraham's just passed away. And his son Isaac now has two sons. They're twins. And uh, they uh, were born uh, Esau first. And then uh, Jacob, whose name means supplanter, but it was also uh, basically meant uh, deceiver. And so he sometimes lives up to his name. And so there were two uh, twin boys that were born, but Esau was born first. And he had a lot of favor with his dad, and Jacob was born second. He had a lot of favor with his mom. Verse 29. Once when Jacob was cooking some stew, Esau came in from the open country famished. Say famished. Famished. He said, I bet he was hangry. Anybody get hangry? Yep. Some of you are proud of it. (laughs) He said to Jacob, quick, let me have some some of that red stew. I'm famished. Jacob replied, first, sell me your birthright. Living up to his name right there. He's like, brother, you're hungry. 
let me see what I can get out of you. You know, the birthright in that day was, was basically that the oldest son, who Esau, probably just a few minutes older than Jacob, he was the oldest, and so therefore he got the bulk of the inheritance. It was about two to one, uh, and he was able to have the family name, the family blessing, and all that stuff that went with it. And so Jacob thought, you know what? I just missed this by a little bit. I'm going to see what I can do to get what I think I should have. And so he decides, hey, I'm going to take advantage of my brother's desperation and see what I can get. And here's the, the response. Uh, he said this, look, I'm about to die. What good is my birthright to me? But Jacob said this, swear to me first. So he swore on oath, selling him his birthright. Then Jacob gave Esau some bread and some lentil stew. He ate and drank, and then he got up and left. So Esau despised his birthright. How many of you know that desperation can make us foolish? And the place that Esau was in was he was not thinking with his right mind. He was thinking with his stomach. And a lot of times in life, when things get difficult, we don't start thinking what Bob Hamp was talking about last week with, with like the genius part of our brain. How many of you know that you're actually, you're a genius? You have what it takes to be really intelligent, but what happens is the circumstances of life get us thinking with the lower part of our brain, and we begin to make bad decisions in difficult circumstances. And so what Esau was feeling was hungry. And because he was hungry, he began to think short-sightedly. And here's what happens to us in, in desperate situations. There's a couple of guys uh, that I spend regular time with. They're brothers to me. And we were just talking about this, I think, last week or the week before. The acronym HALT. Have you heard this acronym? The acronym is this. It talks about when we're most prone to temptation is when we're hungry when we're angry, when we're lonely, and when we're tired. You realize that? Makes sense? Let me add one more to that. It's when we're hurting. When things aren't going well relationally. And there's something about when life gets tough and when then we start to, to think more about our survival than about our future. And we begin to, to make poor decisions in that place. And maybe it's not that you're trading your birthright for a bowl of soup, but the temptation is that I sacrifice what I actually want for what I want in the moment. And it's in those moments that we become susceptible to make poor decisions. Have you been there? It's like, those of you that were excited about being hangry. In fact, Lauren and I, if I could be real honest, she's not here this morning, so maybe she won't watch this as I tell on us. Yeah, that won't work. <laughs> Dread lightly is what Dustin said. Last week, uh, I was uh, working late, and I got home, and, and Lauren, uh, I had agreed that I was going to cook dinner, and so Lauren was, was a bit hungry, and so was I. And so I cooked dinner a bit hangry. And then nobody wanted to come to the dinner that I had just cooked. It's like, oh man, now I feel disrespected. 
And it was like in the middle of that situation, we did not act at our best. How many of you know that, that pastors sometimes argue, all right? It's like your, your marriage trouble. You're not the only one. Now, we got it all sorted out that night. But what I realized is that there are moments that we're not at our best. And we're, when we're not at our best, if we have not trained ourselves, if we have not disciplined ourselves to make good decisions, then we're susceptible to blow up our lives. And so it's that, that time when you're lonely and you are on your phone late at night or when your marriage is rocky and that coworker gives you a little bit of extra attention or when you know that you're not winning at home and you think, well, I can, I can take steps in this direction and we, we begin to leave discipline behind and we begin to make poor decisions because we haven't prepared ourselves for what we're going to face. And so often we get in those places and we don't have a plan for what to do when life gets really tough, when we get really stretched, when we're really tired and we're not thinking with the best part of our brain and we're not offering our best to our kids. And now all of a sudden they do a couple of things that set us off. And because we're tired, we don't respond the way that we should. And we haven't disciplined ourselves so that we can act like Jesus in difficult circumstances. And so I think it's important that we actually get a plan in place with our life and that we set our life up in such a way that we're not running at such a fast pace and that we're not uh, overlooking each other's needs, but we actually have some things in place so that we can live life well. Many of you have, you've listened to Dave Ramsey and you've got your emergency savings fund in place, but you don't have a plan in place for your life or for your family when stuff gets difficult. And so all of the sudden, things begin to fall apart and you are trying to make decisions. Maybe you're single. You're trying to make decisions for your life in difficult circumstances, and you start to do it alone. Or maybe you're married, and things get really difficult. And because you don't have a plan in place, and you haven't decided, hey, I'm going to sow into relationships and community in such a way that I've got a support system built for me. And so all of a sudden, stuff begins to crumble, and you don't have anybody that you can trust and go to. And I believe that there is wisdom that we would set our lives up in such a way that when things get difficult, our lives don't fall apart. Go with me to Hebrews chapter 12. For the joy set before him endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinners so that you may not grow weary and lose heart. The writer of Hebrews is saying is, that's what Dustin said earlier, let's fix our eyes on Jesus, who's the author and perfecter of our faith. Now, we can spiritualize that to a degree that we think that it's all about just Jesus, Jesus, Jesus in front of me. But when we fix our eyes on Jesus, what we recognize is not over-spiritualized, but it's actually that he's our example 
and that he's present with us in everything. And so we're not on our own. We're not alone, but actually he's the one that's with us. He's the author. He's the one that started it. He's the beginner. He's also the finisher. He's the one that is with us to see all that God's doing in us worked out into completion. Then goes on to say in verse seven, it says, endure hardship as discipline. Say hardship. How many of you thought that maybe when you gave your life to Jesus, that meant that everything would get easy? Like, oh man, if God loves me, then life's just going to be really simple. That's not the promise of the gospel. In fact, Jesus said something like this. He said, take heart. He said, in this world, you will have trouble. That's a promise. But take heart because I've overcome the world. And I think sometimes we, we think, oh, I want to live a pain-free existence in God. And if anything difficult comes my way, then God should just make it go away. Don't you wish that was the case? That would be great in the moment. The problem is, is that the future you would hate that. Because there's something about what God forms in the middle of hardship that you will never get in you when everything is easy. And so often we want to escape hardship instead of endure hardship. Now, let me say this to you. Hardship comes from several different sources. And God is not punishing you through hardship. Some of us are facing hardship and we think, why is God doing this to me? He's not doing that to you. He's not on that end of the equation. What he, where he is, is he's actually in you, overcoming through you. He's good to you. And his goodness to you doesn't mean that he prevents bad things from happening to you, but instead he strengthens you in the middle of hardship. And so, yes, there is an enemy that is set against you and he wants to take advantage of you. He wants to steal, to kill, to destroy. He's upset with you because you look like God and he hates that in you. There's a real enemy that's set against you. Here's what that doesn't mean. That doesn't mean that everything that happens to you is because of the enemy. Because none of us are immune to stupid. Right? Like, sometimes bad things happen because good people act stupid. Right? Like, I've made some mistakes and made some bad decisions and had to pay the price for the decisions that I've made. Here's the reality. Not only can bad things happen because you make bad decisions, but bad things can happen to you because other people make bad decisions about you. And it's not all the enemy. It is because of sin and our free will and our ability to hurt each other. We can hurt each other really badly. I think sometimes we think, oh, well, I, I just want everything to be okay. And if something bad's happening, it's all absolutely the devil. Now, the devil's real and we, we shouldn't overlook him. But sometimes life is just difficult. And sometimes bad things happen and it's not your fault, not anybody else's fault. It's just the fact that we live in a fallen world in need of redemption. 
And so I think it's crucial that we don't try to say, okay, now let me figure out everything that's going wrong and why it's going wrong. But instead we fix our eyes on Jesus and say, okay, he's with me and he's in me and we're going to overcome this. Any of you familiar with the story of Job? Job's an interesting story. Uh, uh, and I think sometimes we overlook the fact, one, that it's part of the books of wisdom. There's actually wisdom in the book of Job for us. I think another thing that, that we miss is, is that it's not in the books of history. Right? So it's, it's not about a real person that lived at a real point in time. It's actually a, a play or an allegory written to reveal some certain aspects about God and life. And so you've got this guy that his whole, and I think sometimes we think, oh, well, well, God's just sending the enemy after me. No, God's not partnered with the enemy in any sort of way, but there is a real enemy that is coming after you. And what he wants to do is really mess up your life so that in the middle of difficulty, in the middle of being, of hurting or being hungry, angry, lonely, tired, that you'll make an agreement about life and about God that will destroy the rest of your life. See, here's what, what happens with us in the middle of difficulty. We've got the, the whisper of the enemy and it sometimes sounds like Job's friend or his wife, curse God and die. Give, give up on God. And just go your own way. Forget it. This isn't working for you. Give up. And Job was like, man, I, I can't do that. Job eventually asked God, I think essentially the wrong question. Because God's response to him was, hey, there's more going on than you could imagine. But what God did in the middle of that is that in the middle of Job's hardship, he brought redemption. I have often thought, well, that's not fair to Job's wife and kids, right? Like all of those that were killed. That's not the point of the story. They're actually like the backdrop for the story. But here's, here's I think, a, a key to Job that, you know, you can interpret Scripture with Scripture and you begin to put things together because Scripture is often truth held in tension. In Matthew chapter 4, verse 1, we see, I think, one of the most overlooked passages in Scripture. And it says this, that the Holy Spirit led Jesus into the desert to be tempted. What does that mean? Was the Holy Spirit leading Jesus into the wilderness to be tempted because he wanted to destroy him? No. The Holy Spirit led Jesus into the wilderness because it was time for Jesus to have an upgrade over the enemy. Could it be that the difficulty in your life, whatever comes at you, is not because God is trying to destroy you, but because he's actually giving you an upgrade in life? That whatever comes at you, the hardship that you're wrestling with right now, the place where you're hopeless, could it be that God is saying to you, hey, you have what it takes 
with me, and I'm going to work with you for an upgrade so that anything that the enemy throws at you, you're going to be strong and resilient. You're not going to be swayed by it, but you're actually getting an upgrade. You see, here's the, the, the backstory to Lauren and I getting in, in an argument last week was actually that we didn't move away from each other. We actually ended up moving towards each other. And, and what we found was a place that we can have some discussion and say, okay, we didn't do that right. How can we do that better next time? It's not just simply, I, I'm sorry, I forgive you, but it's like, okay, now we can put some things in place that we can move forward in a better way, in a stronger way. And I believe when we're facing hardship, there's often, one, a lesson to learn. Two, there is grace that God wants to pour out that would be an upgrade for us. That's what Dustin was talking about, joy. In James chapter one, verse two, it says, consider it pure joy when you face hardship of many kinds. Now, I don't ever look at hardship in my natural mind and say, hey, this is really exciting, right? <laughs> but I recognize that there's grace for every season that I'm in, and I can consider it pure joy when I begin to recognize the grace. Lauren and I started this year, I used a quote from that great philosopher Mike Tyson a few weeks ago, said everybody's got a plan until they get punched in the face. Lauren and I started off this year, we started off this year with COVID. I think many of us got it together. Um, and, and then we started off with, with significant uh, financial pain. And how many of you know, like financial pain can like mess up your peace, right? And so we were spun a bit. In fact, we were spun enough where it seemed like we couldn't really find the, the right way up. And so instead of trying to figure out how can we make it all happen on our own, you know what we did is we went to some close friends we just said, hey, this is where we are. And what we didn't need was somebody to offer us a solution. What we needed was somebody to be present with us and just sit with us in the middle of that so that we could get oriented. Now, we're actually fine. We're doing better than, than I think we've ever done before. Like it, it, That stuff takes care of itself. But here's what I, I discovered in that process, that we have through a handful of years, cultivated some really close relationships so that when stuff gets tough, we've got people to go to. And what I realized is that many of us live life at such a pace that when stuff gets tough, we have nobody to go to. In fact, we live life not simply at such a pace, but in such a way that we don't have authentic and vulnerable relationships that we're sharing life with, that we're encouraging each other, so that all of a sudden stuff starts to fall apart and we don't know what to do and we turn in on ourselves and on each other instead of say, oh, you know what? This is more than we can handle. And so I need some people that I can go to. Here's what I'd like to suggest to you. Steve will talk about this more next week, I think, is that you would begin to think through, especially if you're married, with, think through it with your spouse, but if you're not married, just think through this on your own. Okay, who has God put around me that I can sow into our relationship with? Like that we can say, okay, we're connected to each other. 
and that we enjoy being around and that can be good support for us. I'd like to suggest to you that community group is a great place to begin to find that. If community group for you or church for you is just a once a week meeting, you will not have that. Instead, you need people that you're intentional with, that you're living life with, that know you and that can celebrate with you. And if you can find some people that will celebrate with you, and when you are doing really well, they're really excited, not jealous, then you have people in your corner that will care for you when you're hurting. You with me? And I think, uh, look for people that when you have good news, they get really excited and they don't try to give you a one-up story or a me-too story or any of that kind of stuff. They're like, whoa, that's awesome. Hey, this is what happened to me the other day. It's like, no. And what you'll find in that same person typically and what you can become is somebody that when things aren't going well, listens to you instead of tries to advise you. And there's something about beginning to orient our lives in a way that are built to last instead of built to go fast that will provide strength for us for generations. I think it's key that we begin to cultivate those relationships so that when things get rough, we've got people to go to. Okay, back to verse seven. Endure hardship as discipline because God is treating you as his children. Make sense of that. Endure hardship as discipline because God is treating you as his children. God is more interested in your development, your growth, your maturity than he is your comfort. And so he lets us go through hard things so that we'll grow. Apply that to your parenting just for a second. If you're a, a rescuer as a parent, then you're actually preventing your children from growing. It's important one psychologist says it this way, that your children learn how to do dangerous things carefully. That they learn to fall, that they get bloody knees every once in a while. And then when they bloody their knees, you don't say, I told you so. You don't try to correct them. Instead, you hold them. You let them bond to you so that they're the ones that, you're the one that they come to when, it's hurt, when they're hurting. And as they grow and their pain is no longer bloody knees, but it's a broken heart, what you'll find is that they'll want to move towards you instead of away from you because you are not the one that says, I told you so, but you are the one that's a safe place for them to grow. And you don't try to control their lives or prevent it because what you're interested in is actually mature sons and daughters that represent you, that represent God really well, not complicit sons and daughters because they're going to have to face the real world. And if you try to shelter them and control them, what'll happen is they may look good for the first 15, 18 years, but then life begins to fall apart when they have to make their own decisions. They need the space to fail. And in the same way, God has given you space 
to learn and grow, to get hurt, to fall down, to fail. Because he's a good father and he's more interested in your maturity than he is your comfort or perfection. And so we recognize that God is present with us in the middle of our pain. And I think that's what it means to endure hardship as discipline because God is actually training you. It says, verse 10, they disciplined us for a little while as they thought best, but God disciplines us for our good in order that we may share in his holiness. See, what God wants to do through discipline is teach you how to respond when you're hurting, when you're hangry, when you're lonely, when you're tired, so that you can make wise decisions and reflect him to the world around you so that you can actually share in his nature. You know that he is not irritable, that he's not moved by circumstances, but actually he's consistent and faithful. He's resilient. And that's what he wants to put in you. And so he'll use hardship in your life. Now, some hardship in your life is more than you can handle. People say God will never give you more than you can handle. And those people who say that are taking scripture out of context and they're not dealing with people who have been through devastating circumstances. Because the truth is, sometimes it's way more than you can handle. Sometimes marriage is so difficult. Sometimes that baby that you lost, it's so painful that you can't handle that on your own. But in the middle of that, what God is wanting to do is he's wanting to draw you out of a shell and into relationship with him and with other people so that you can be whole and strong. And so he'll, those things that happen to you, he didn't cause them to you, but he'll use those redemptively to grow you and to mature you so that you look more like him. So, so that we would share in his holiness. And then it says this in verse 14, make every effort to live in peace with everyone and to be holy because without holiness, no one will see the Lord. It starts off by saying, let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our place, and then we of our faith, and then we begin to endure hardship as discipline. We've got our eyes fixed on Him, and what that discipline does in us is develops holiness. So, what discipline does is that you are so trained that you don't get overwhelmed in difficult circumstances. The reason why historically our military has been so uh, so demanding in our training that it almost seems as if they're torturing our soldiers is because they want them to have an automatic response to difficulty, not to begin to think through, how do I do all this? But they're, they're trained well. That's why football coaches historically ha have done two-a-days that puts their football players at the like end of their rope so that in the middle of a game when there's loud noise and there's difficulty and the players are bigger than they've ever seen before, that they can do what they're trained to do without having to think about it. It becomes an automated response. That's what hardship develops in us so that in difficulty, we're not swayed to the left or to the right, but we begin to share in his holiness. And as we share in his holiness, what happens is we recognize who he is in us, the one that's refined us. And then we see him clearly. And here's the end result. Go with me to the end of the chapter. Worship team, you guys can come back up. 
says, therefore, since we are receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken, let us be thankful so we can worship God acceptably and with reverence and awe, for our God is a consuming fire. There's the idea of the consuming fire. He's a, a refining fire. He takes the junk, the dross out, scrapes it off the top and purifies us. And what he wants to do is put in you his unshakable kingdom so that when life gets tough, you are not moved. That's a good bit of what integrity is. Integrity is that I'm the same through and through that when things get difficult, I can stay steadfast. So here's my, my thought for you. For me is what is God doing in this season in the hardship that you're facing? I think every one of us could say, hey, there's an area of my life that's really difficult. And could it be that in the middle of difficulty, it's his desire to refine you and to give you an upgrade? Second question for you is, what do you need to arrange intentionally about life? Is it that you need to spend more time in scripture and prayer? Is it that you need to let some people into your life so that when difficulty comes, you've got to go to? I hear this all the time, specifically in marriages. Husband or wife, often it's the husband. Or it's the wife that says, hey, we're having a hard time. This isn't what it should be, and we need help. And the husband in pride doesn't want to let anybody in. And so they say, oh, no, we've got this. We can figure it out. It's really not that bad. And so what happens is they continue to move apart from each other because they're not willing to humble themselves to move forward together. And what I would say to you is that maybe it would be wise to have a plan before things fall apart. Say, hey, we're gonna go to these people. These are some good spiritual moms and dads, some good spiritual friends when stuff gets difficult. We've got these people, we've agreed, hey, I can appeal and say, hey, we're stuck, we can't work this out between us. I'm gonna go, we're gonna go to them. You've just got a plan before it ever gets bad. Maybe single person, maybe that you'd have a spiritual mom and dad. I don't say that in a controlling way that you need to be codependent with them, but you've got some people that you look up to that you can say, hey, I know who to go to when it's bad. When I'm not doing well, I'm not gonna hide and pretend that I have it all together, but instead I've got people that I can move towards so that I can stay healthy, that, that can help me in shaping my life so that I can move forward wisely. Because I believe this, that what God wants from his people in this season is that we would learn to be steadfast, unshakable. Because in that consistency and in that health becomes so much life that the world around us needs. Would you stand with me? Father, I just thank you that you are at work in our lives. Lord, I bless every person here, every person watching online. Lord, that we would be strong and unshakable. Lord, I pray for 
grace. To make it through tough seasons, to recognize what you're doing when it's tough. Lord, I thank you that you have in store for us all an upgrade that you're calling us and strengthening us to look more like Jesus. If you're here this morning, our ministry team's gonna come forward. If you're here this morning and you'd say, man, I'm actually just in the middle of what you're talking about. It's been pretty tough on some front in life and you need prayer, our, our team would, would love to pray for you. Maybe it's physically that you've got some sickness that you've been wrestling with. Maybe you need to say to your spouse, hey, we should just go get some prayer for our marriage or for our kids. Maybe you're, you're battling just anxiety or difficulty. These folks would love to pray with you. And finally, in a room like this, it's, it's likely that there's a person or two that you just need to give your life to Jesus. Like you've maybe done religion, maybe you've just been trying to make it on your own, but you need to say, hey, I'm gonna go all in with Jesus and let him have my life. And so they, this team would love to pray with you.